for 12 years in a row. Ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. And we're privileged and happy to have you. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Welcome to the 9 o'clock hour here this Saturday morning of Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition where we come every Saturday morning with the intent of becoming every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Well, how about this past week? Even though we got a little hot and broke 115, Romy, how would you compare this to last summer? I don't remember last summer. It was the meanest, (laughs) ugliest, baddest summer ever I've ever lived. I I think I've put that one out of my memory. Well, (laughs) maybe you've got the smarter play on this one, that's for sure. Because after being here 57 years, I will tell you without a doubt, it was the most miserable summer in Arizona I've ever experienced. Ever. That was the record-setting hot spring and summer of 2020. More days over 100 ever observed in one calendar year. 14 days over 115, 53 days over 110, and a 28-day stretch where the temperature never dropped below 9. I'm getting hot just talking about it, man. This has really been a nice spring. But you know what? Last summer, about 7 million Arizona residents made it through that mean, miserable summer because of air conditioning. (laughs) <laughs> we would not have 7 million people in Arizona if it was not for air conditioning. If it weren't for air conditioning, that's for sure. So in the midst of all that heat, I would be lying if I told you there, were, there weren't days, afternoons, sitting at home, looking out my living room window to the backyard. The, I think the pool was actually even steaming a couple times and boiling. <laughs> it was so hot. The trees were wilting, the grass was wilting, um, the dogs were running in and out, mostly in, uh, and I I just kind of wondered and was very thankful and grateful for the fact that APS has my back. SRP has my back. Them little electrons are going to keep flowing right through that meter. And I don't, right now, this afternoon at 118 degrees, I don't care what it costs per kilowatt. Just get that electron to my air conditioning compressor and I'll be okay. And if you'll remember, last summer we had the frame of reference of the California shutdowns of 2019. The chaos of three and a half million California residents being out of power. Kaboom. Done. How many of them you think are here now? <laughs> too many. Too many, that's for sure. We're going to have to start doing the census every two years, not ten. So in the midst of my wondering about the security of the Arizona grid system, I contacted friends at APS and SRP, and they have arranged today for the distribution czars of the two utility companies to be here in the studio APS, thank you for sending Mr. Jacob Tetlow, the Executive Vice President of Operations. Jacob, thanks for joining us this morning, man. Thanks, Rosie. Pleasure to be here. Gosh. And SRP, thank you, SRP, for bringing Mr. Chris Hoffman, Director of Transmission Operations. You, you monitor the electrons. That's right. Thanks, Rosie. Happy to be here. Electricity is such a peculiar thing. It is. It's fun, isn't it? it? Well, it's perplexing, to say the least. I'd like to say I understood it enough for it to be fun, but, I, but I'll tell you how fun it is. I, all my toolboxes in the garage are color-coded, and when my wife sees me pull the red one out, 
which has the circuit conductors and the wire strippers and my electric tools. She packs the goldfish, the pet tortoise, the dogs, the kids, and she just drives it to the waiting parking lot at the emergency room. <laughs> I think my wife just dials 911 she, and she, she knows sparks are going to be flying. But what do we tell Arizona homeowners about the security of our grid system, Chris? I mean, you you got to be able to be, depend on an Arizona homeowner. You can't think about not having something running or cooling you when it's 118 degrees for the sixth day in a row. Yeah, those were some pretty impressive heat, heat oh, strengths. Man. <laughs> I'll be honest. You know, Arizona's, Arizona's used to this, though, and so is SRP, and same with APS. We're used to dealing with these long, hot summers. All year long, we're taking all the lessons learned we've gotten from the previous summer, what we see impactful for the customers, and we're implementing changes throughout the year so we can meet that summer summer need coming up. So, yeah, it's a constant battle, but it's a constant learning process as well. Man, oh, man, APS. Jacob, do you all ever see the meter go from yellow to orange to <laughs> – we do keep a pretty good eye on that power flow, and it, it, it definitely, you can see it. When it's 115 degrees, you know, the system is at full load. And when you say full load, we're not really adding more power plants, but we're adding population. How much more uh, growth can we sustain before we have to start adding additional generation plants? Yeah, that's a great question, I mean, Really, you know, we're adding... Uh, distributed energy, as you see, you know, customers are installing residential um, solar panels on their roof, and we are building um, new clean energy sources today. So we we are adding some power. What you don't see is those traditional, you know, coal-fired and gas-fired power plants being added to the system. So we are growing, and we do see about a one percent growth in the system demand year over year. So we do anticipate that. And, and you know, as much to uh, kind of the opening comments, we look ten years ahead. We build a transmission system on a, on a ten-year look ahead. And summer's our season. I mean, we know it. We plan APS, SRP. We work together. We make sure we got the resources there to feed that 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 load. You know, the water management guys really have it easy. They just put up a dam and save it. It does seem <laughs> like they have some benefits here. <laughs> you know, once you guys produce electricity, we can't put it anywhere unless it gets consumed. So you're, you've got your constant foot on the clutch. Yeah, it's that one commodity in life where you have to make the exact amount of it that your customers want at the exact moment they want it. Got to keep it in balance. Now that that's now that's really now that would keep me awake at night if I was you, Chris. <laughs> you know what keeps so me awake? So when Aunt Sylvia opens her refrigerator door and that light goes on at two o'clock in the morning on a hot night, she's thinking of you, Chris. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> she wants to know that light's gonna come on, that refrigerator's cool, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we're always trying or we always succeed and same with APS at meeting the supply and demand. It's a constant it's a constant struggle, but we always meet it. it to me that seems like a, a a a highly improbable statistic that in 7 million people offices, residences, residential applications, commercial facilities, you've got to know Minute by minute, day by day, hour by hour, what the demand is going to be. And I wouldn't be comfortable just relying on historical statistics. There, so you got to build a buffer in there. 
We do, Rosie. We do have a buffer. We actually have what we call reserve planning reserves. And so when we, we project what that load's going to be, we put a little margin on top of that just to make sure, because we understand how important it is and how big a difference it makes to you know providing what, it, what is today a more essential resource than it's ever been in the history, right? Um, you, can't, you can't have 7 million people living here without, without power, electricity, to charge our phones, to now charge some cars. And, oh, and oh. so it's definitely changing. Well, you know, back to the water management, if there's a tablespoon of water in the CAP when it reaches the end of the ditch in Tucson, they just pump it back in the ground. What do you do with the electricity at the end of the line that doesn't get used? Where do you discharge it to? What, Where does it go? Well, that's kind of the neat part of the equation <laughs> is we don't store it. We only make exactly the amount that's needed. You don't ever, I mean, you could put some batteries in um, and we're working on those technologies and we're installing some large scale batteries. But today, and you know, maybe there's a few small exceptions where you, you might pump water back up into a reservoir as a as a way to use excess power. But today, you just match the the demand that's out there from our customers with the generation resources. So you, you know, you can kind of think of it as your car. You're just going to step on the gas pedal a little bit more, and you're going to make more energy. And then if the demand drops, then you kind of let off the gas pedal a little bit. How long does it take electricity generated from Palo Verde? To meet the end of its transmission, I think the farthest away is somewhere in Texas, El Paso area. I mean, is that speed of light? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's right. What is it? One hundred eighty-six thousand so miles just per second. A couple blinks of an eye, and so when you're adjusting that accelerator, <laughs> I mean, it, it really is affecting that million millions of people. Yeah, and you got to think of it as kind of like a big mesh network, big grid, right? Because we have customers all over the place in, in the western states that are all interconnected, and we have power plants distributed across all of that too. So the reality is you'll pick up some some uh, resource and you'll add more load and step on the gas pedal in different regions based on what you see for demands. But it is all interconnected in the 13 western states. Unlike Texas. Yeah, we're not, we're not I, Texas, other than I, El Paso. And, and I want to get to that because as I'm making it through that hot summer, and I mean, we had 100-degree days through October of last fall. And it was just months later, Texas goes in a freeze. I think it was February where the natural gas lines start freezing. The generating plants don't have the fuel they need to generate. I, w- I want to talk about that completely separate because – I've got Aunt Sylvia in Austin, and they tell me if she would have turned on one more light switch, the whole state would have gone into months of blackout. Months of blackout. I guess when a generating plant throws a fuse, you don't just reset the breaker. I want to. I do want to get into that, but I want to. I want to stay here in Arizona just a little bit longer. I can't remember in all the years I've lived here more than once or twice us ever having to even address the issue of brownouts, rolling outages. I mean, we've just never really had to deal with that as a part of everyday life in Arizona. That's right. In the history of APS, we don't have a time where we've actually ever had to load shed like the experience that California had last summer or what you talked about in Texas. That That's kind of your last tool in the toolbox when it comes to uh, keeping the lights on and, and trying to balance that load and demand. And, and, you know, that's the last thing we would ever want to do. And I would have hated to be that guy at PG&E who made the decision, okay, this is going to be a planned rolling outage. At some nanosecond, he has to decide, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, we're going from rolling planned outages to blackout in this community and that community and that community. And he's just pulling switches and disconnecting people that don't have time to battery charge their their life-saving devices, their medical devices, or any of the uh, 
electronic devices that we've come to live with every single day of our lives. It's just turned off. The reliability and security of the Arizona grid system here with APS and SRP. We're going to continue this conversation. Don't go anywhere. Turn that generator by any means you're making up. In studio with SRP and APS representatives here at Rosie on the House talking about the power grid. And uh, if somebody's new to Arizona, uh, is not familiar with our primary power suppliers, you know, APS operates Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant, but you also have a number of other uh, power generation stations as well. What a lot of people don't know is SRP actually has part ownership in Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant, along with uh, companies, electric companies in uh, California, uh, Texas, and, and there's like seven owners of the power plant, but you guys have the operating license. That's correct. That's right. We APS operates Palo Verde Nuclear Plant, but we do it on behalf of several different co-owners, and, and you know, it's really a partnership as we all work to keep the lights on in Arizona. And SRP not only has power generation, but you guys manage our in-state water systems that come in from the White Mountains. That's right. So you guys are water and power. That's right. Okay, so SRP, in my mind, as a as just a, a naive homeowner, uh, I'm thinking hydroelectric power, probably your biggest source of power. That wouldn't be accurate. Okay, straighten so me out. we've got a large mix of coal, uh, hydro. We, hydro is in there. We've got solar, natural gas, nuclear, and now we're moving into wind Methane. as well. So are you guys the ones putting the kingmen wind farm in no not so much we're just purchasing power through there oh gotcha so we've got between the two of you we've got natural gas we've got nuclear we've got hydroelectric we've got coal fired what other sources are there a little bit of biomass out there we have quite a bit of solar tell me what biomass is well, up in uh, you know, up, up towards Snowflake, Arizona, there's an area where they actually consume uh, wood products out of the forest that aren't aren't usable for making finished lumber. So in that case, you can actually use that as a fuel source in a boiler and make steam and spin okay. a turbine. Is that St. John's? Uh, it's west of Snowflake. Okay. Um, west of Snowflake, Arizona. Okay. So we've got we we're not just relying on any one source. That to some degree adds some layers of redundancy and security, right? Yeah, absolutely. Maintaining a diverse mix is really helpful. What do you see as uh, the future of wind? Are we going to be covered up in wind farms at some time in the future? It'll keep blowing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rosie, I think wind is a, is a great resource. It's actually very inexpensive to make. But one of the challenges with wind for, for Arizona is on our hottest days of the year when we need the most energy, the wind is often not Ooh. blowing. And so that's one of the big challenges we face with wind. Now, conversely, solar, which we have a large fleet of solar sites, and we make a lot of energy today. I mean, we, we talk a lot about APS being 50% of our energy is carbon-free, and that's a combination of about two-thirds of it comes from Palo Verde Nuclear, and the other third comes from our solar and, and some wind resources. The solar does really well on a hot, sunny day. I used to work for a man that said we're all just one idea away from a fortune. Now, my idea, why hasn't anyone ever incorporated the force of tide, the ocean tides, to generate, to spin a generator? There actually is. There Underground, is. horizontal generators? So there's wave power and there's tidal power as well. And where are we seeing that utilized? 
there's some in the East Coast and a little Is bit it? in Southern California. Okay. Well, it, it has always puzzled me as to that seems to be absolutely reusable forever. It's a very plentiful resource. Yeah, if you can figure out how to capture it. A very plentiful resource. It would just seem like a great place to to be putting some investment research dollars. And I've always been curious about that. So all of these power sources, now we've got to get the infrastructure to distribute all these generated powers. Uh, what happens when we decide to let a coal plant in St. John's, we're going we're gonna to shut that coal plant down. How do we make up that difference? Yeah, that's, that's one of the big challenges we face as we, we transition to that 100% carbon-free future that we've all envisioned and we're working towards. And while we may be 50% of the way there today, getting the other 50% is going to be a lot of work. And as you, as you wind down coal-fired power plants, there's, there's a combination of, of mostly focused on wind and solar renewables in the state of Arizona. And, and in order to make that dispatchable, you've got to add the battery piece. So you have to store the sun up in the middle of the day or store the wind when it's blowing and put it into a large-scale energy storage and then use it when we get to our peak, you know, around 5.36 p.m. in the evening. And so that's, that's a big piece of that strategy. Is So as we wind down some of those coal plants and make that transition, we'll lean heavily on renewable energy like solar. And y'all have both began promoting a couple of years ago the idea of staggering your power consumption. Yeah. I mean, that's going to do a lot right there. We have programs with like bring your own thermostat or customer demand response, the business demand response. So, yeah, absolutely. Rosie, I heard you're an expert on rate design, too, that you know how to pre-cool the house and store up that cold and use it when it's, when it's less impactful and at a lower yeah, cost. You know, we, we, we put um, uh, the concept of supercooling out over the airwaves 20 years ago, and we have thousands of testimonies of people just saying, I'm living cooler, I'm living more comfortable, uh, I'm living with a 30% reduced power bill. I'm getting my total KW cost on the month, including my peak load demand at under 13 cents a kilowatt. And I ask them, I say, just call any of your relatives anywhere in the country and ask them if 10, 11, or 12 cents a kilowatt, they would consider that fair. And, and it helps the grid and it helps you as a customer, right? And, and it helps the globe. That's I mean, right. it's a win-win-win for every single body. We call it super cooling. Y'all have begun promoting it, and I just think it does a long. It goes a long way to answer Romy's question about when do we need that next generating plant? Because if we can level off the peaks at that five o'clock afternoon midsummer peak, we're going to go a long way to stretch our current supply. Arizona homeowners, we're here with the two largest utility providers in the state of Arizona, APS and SRP, Mr. Jacob Tetlow, the Executive Vice President of Operations for APS, and Mr. Chris Hoffman, the Director of Transmission Operations. I like that title. I really like that title, Chris. I really do. Now, you are the man with the toggle switch joystick directing the juice every place it needs to go right yeah the team is the one that does it yeah. <laughs> now i want to talk about we've talked a little bit about what happened in california in 2019 the horrible miserable mean summer of arizona 2020 and then we've got the winter texas february 2021 
Yeah, and Rosie, that's a great story we ought to talk about. But can I get one more plug in for some of the great? You talked about energy sources and yeah. where do we get our energy from? Yes. And we were talking about the benefits, and and one of the best forms of energy is the energy you never had to make. That's the cleanest one, right? If you didn't have to make it, then that's, that's going to be the cleanest one you ever got. And and we're super excited, APS, with the, what we call the Cool Rewards Program. And, it, and it's really putting at scale the ability to in, in interface with customers through their smart thermostats, whether it's an Ecobee or a Google Nest, whatever the thermostat, bring your own device, as Chris talked about at SRP. But now we have the ability to interface with those customers and give us a little bit of flexibility to adjust your temperature just a little bit over those peak hours you were talking about around supercooling. And we have over 40,000 customers now enrolled in that program. That's awesome. Last summer, we got we got over 40 megawatts of response. And you say, well, what's 40 megawatts? That's a small power plant. That is a small power plant that we didn't have to build. Because 40,000 customers changed their thermostats. That's right. And, and, and began to learn the, the game of power consumption. That's right. And so it does the. it's good for the environment because we didn't have to build another power plant. It's good for customers because they get to save money on the program. And it's good for the grid and the utility because we don't have to build that extra resource. And so it saves everybody money when we do things like that. That is so awesome because I can't tell you the thousands of phone calls I've taken from homeowners that want to beat the man, and that's you two guys. They, they want they want to beat them. They want to get that power bill down to seven cents a month, and they'll spend whatever it takes. They'll spend thou tens of thousands of dollars on new windows, new air conditioning. And I'm just telling them, you, you are just burning money down a hole. Well, you, send them to APS.com oh, and have them get a smart thermostat. <laughs> you know, there are so, there's so much low hanging fruit like this that y'all are making available and and both of your uh utilities in in the um uh trend of of whole house energy audits that were rolled out 10 15 years ago when y'all were subsidizing those and encouraging people learn where you're losing it 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 can be a tube of caulk it can solve a lot of your problems a little weather stripping can go a long way a little shade screen a shade tree you know and y'all both had shade tree distribution programs that's right so okay so that is an excellent point that just the educated consumer with the right piece of equipment is a power generating plant we never have to build that's right and that is the cleanest yeah you you can't beat that one you cannot beat that one all right now i want to move forward because as i was talking about october of last year we were still hitting 100 degrees and so i'm still thankful for aps and srp for providing my electricity all the way past the season i should ever even need it and i'm still have the thermostat set in the 70s and it's having to work to get there now i have a lot of family a lot of family that live in texas and you can't believe the river of tears that i got from my relatives when that ice storm moved through Texas and fro and I guess they're primarily or, or a, a great majority of their power generation must be natural gas because it was the natural gas pipelines that were freezing not feeding the generators and it's my understanding the entire state of Texas is an isolated power island un, in and of itself mostly and that island was like one 40-watt light bulb away from completely shutting down, which could have been weeks or months. Tell me what Texas was battling, Chris. 
Yeah, you know, under normal circumstances, you got your supply or your generation trying to meet the load, right? Our customers. And when that happens, it's, everything's in balance. Well, what was ended up happening was you didn't see enough generation because the generators started tripping offline, but the load is not going away. So what that causes is the frequency of the grid, the 60 hertz, to start to decay. When that happens, you can have massive implications to damage to equipment, damage to generators. So the now, see that would keep me awake at night. If, if I was yeah. Chris Hoffman, that would keep me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> so the operators did the only option that they had, which was to shed load and stop that frequency decay to avoid long-term damage that could have taken months to repair. And shed load, you mean shut down parts of the grid? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you're the power plant generator button switcher and you have to shed load, all you can do is start telling people, there. okay, we're going to quit sending it down this line. How do you decide that? You got to remember, Texas is completely different, right? You touched on that earlier, Rosie, with it being a standalone, and Jacob, you did as well, with it being a standalone grid. So there's no interconnections versus WEC, where we're at the Western Electricity Coordinating Council. It's a formation of what, 14 states plus some parts of Canada, as well as New Mexico, or as well as Mexico, northern Mexico. So we all share inner ties. We can assist each other at any point in time versus Texas, where it's a deregulated market. And they really don't have the massive inner ties with other states that Jacob touched on earlier with sharing power plants, sharing energy from all over the place. So, Well, I've got, I told you I wouldn't go political, but I'm about ready to go political. I have a burning question for both of you. Am I crazy? Or was the Arizona Corporation Commission just months ago, maybe a year ago, exploring the Texas energy distribution model as something we should adopt in Arizona? Am, am I dreaming that up? No, I, I think that'd actually be a true story. Um, it, it's not new, though. I mean, deregulation's been around for a while, and, okay. and it's been kicked around as, you know, market competitive. And, and deregulation comes with its challenges. And, and Texas, um, you know, obviously this last winter was a good example where it, where it didn't work and where it failed. Um, I often think about deregulation as it's just a different form of regulation, right? You still have to have some regulation, but it's a different market design. And one of the benefits that, that APS and, and Arizona and SRP is – you know, we're 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 vertically integrated utility to APS. So we we have the power plants, we have the transmission, the distribution, and so you because you have ownership on on all the different components to the puzzle, you have a much better ability to manage all those pieces to ensure that you have reliability for the long run. And then Texas, they don't have that, and they don't. And to you know Chris's point, they can't lean on the neighboring states if oh, they need to man. either. Well, I can't imagine that topic is going to come back up at the Arizona Corporation Commission anytime real soon. Probably not. It'll be a few years. Well, now, let me let me play a role of the Arizona Corporation Commission. Y'all go in front of them, and APS in particular goes in front of them, and y'all, you know, you, you show them your, your numbers. Uh, a big complaint I heard from California residents was that the lar- one of the largest utility companies in the country, PG&E, just wasn't maintaining their infrastructure. Huh? How do you regulate that? As a privately owned company, how do you force them to keep their equipment so it won't start wildfires? 
Yeah, and that's a that's a big challenge. I mean, that's part of the partnership though between the utility and our regulator. That you know, we 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 strive and we do maintain top quartile reliability. We look at our reliability. We look at our system condition, and we have we have over fifty different programs designed to maintain that. The we call it um, system health, if you will, the condition of that system, all that infrastructure to make sure it's healthy. And so that does take real investment, and that's that partnership between the utility and our regulator to, to work together to make sure we're making the right investments. And and frankly, I think you know, there's probably some cases where PG&E took their eye off the ball a little bit. Yeah, I think there's a lot of California residents that would agree with that. Let's try to be nice. <laughs> from, from the from the headlines I've read, <laughs> it seems like there would be a lot of consensus that that was the case. How do how do they recover? I mean, they, they didn't. I'm, I'm, we're going way off course now, but didn't they have like a 31 billion dollar claim for the fire damages that they caused in that Paradise Fire? And then that pushed them to bankruptcy, didn't yep. he? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So what happens when the largest utility company in your state now is going to the bankruptcy court? And now they're spending billions of dollars trying to catch up on that infrastructure. So now you go through a bankruptcy, and somebody's going to pay for that. And then you have to add on all the costs to fix the system. So that's not going to make – and electricity is already very expensive in California, right? Talk to people that are moving from California to Arizona. One of the benefits and one of the reasons people move here is because we have, we have inexpensive, reliable, safe electricity in Arizona. And what's the history of APS? 1886. We were around before this was a state. And I'm SR- pretty proud of that. And SRP. More than 100 years. 100 years. Okay. I mean, so y'all been at it for a while. Some of your infrastructure could be aging. That is that is right, and, and he's a guy that understands all that. When you when you're working on seventy year old equipment, in some cases, you know that has its unique challenges. Doesn't mean it's bad, but it yeah. means you better know what condition it's in. Yeah, I mean, when they build Roosevelt Dam, they they give it a good long life expectancy, <laughs> right, Chris? Yep. Oh man, so we're generating power from multiple sources. We're sending it out into the uh, arena of consumers through uh, infrastructure that we're regularly maintaining. And between the two of you, uh, your two utilities, y'all have been doing it for over 100 years. And I can tell you, I've been here, wow. <laughs> About half, half of that? Half that time. <laughs> half that time. And I, I really cannot remember, and I've lived in both districts, SRP and APS, I can't remember the last time I had to suffer uh, an outage that wasn't due to some traffic guy hitting a transformer that's right car hits a pole mylar balloon gets into a conductor some something like that yep yeah i did see a hawk on the transformer in my backyard spread his wings he was stretching oh man he that was the last stretch he ever made (laughs) (laughs) poor little guy (laughs) but um on that on that topic in particular we're we're providing the safe power we have a history of doing it for a long time what does the future look like? What is there another power plant on the drawing board, dream board, anywhere? And what would it be? Are we going to do that with solar and wind? <laughs> I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I think the future's got all kinds of exciting opportunities. You know, today we're running natural gas, we're running coal, we're running nuclear, we got solar, we got wind, we got hydro. SRP has hydro. <laughs> And and when you think about the future state, there's going to be hydrogen in there, and you can take a you can take an existing uh, gas turbine, you can make some modifications to it, and you can put hydrogen in there, which has no carbon emissions. Now you got to make the hydrogen somewhere, so making hydrogen is a little bit tricky, and we'll and we're working on a lot of different ways to make hydrogen. 
Well, if I could be dictator of the Arizona Corporation Commission, I would just say no one, you can't provide power for more than this number of people. And I'd allow for about a 2% increase every year. And that would just automatically build a governor for the rate of growth for the great state of Arizona. Because I, I have been here long enough to remember when it was a really fun state at 2.5 million people. It's a great state at 7 million people. And you guys, your two utility companies, have done a great job keeping us comfortable in those 110, 115 degree days that we've seen in the past and that many will tell you we're going to see very many more in the future. We're here with Jacob Tetlow, the Executive Vice President of Operations for APS, and Chris Hoffman, the Director of Transmission Operators for SRP. You know, it was just a couple weeks ago you heard Al McCoy sing on the Rosie on the House show. And now, Rosie on the House, we've got APS and SRP together in the same room talking about you, the Arizona homeowner, and your electricity. We got a rock on to Electric Avenue. And then we'll take it higher. Bringing it back to the final segment here at Rosie on the House, where we're talking the security of the electric grid system in the great state of Arizona. We're doing that. We've got the privilege and the opportunity to be able to speak with Mr. Jacob Tetlow, Executive Vice President of Operations for APS, and Mr. Chris Hoffman, Director of Transmission Operators for SRP. I just got to ask you guys one thing. Chris, what keeps you awake at night? It's your job to keep every air conditioner in your zone running. Yeah, it would have to be wildfires. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we've got some such an area where all that can break out so quickly and have an impact on any of our transmission, maybe bringing it in from all the generators that are out outside of the Phoenix, of the valley. Now, are these wildfires going to burn your infrastructure up? Not or so much do they just incapacitate them? Yeah, that's a great question. It's not so much with fire that's always a threat, but the smoke causes a lot of unintended trips on the transmission system. So now all of a sudden, we're facing a shortage. Now, we need to get out there and check it prior to re-energizing to make sure we don't cause the situation to get worse. So, yeah, that causes me a lot of uh, Wild, sleepless nights. Wildfires. So, yeah, I'm, do you have a, 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 a fire department electronic monitor in your bedroom at night? <laughs> beep 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 because we've we've already had a, a fire or two this year jacob what keeps you awake at night well i have the same i have the same concerns that chris does um i i usually say that it starts off with fire season you know i kind of said at the beginning we we spend all year prepping for the summer this is our season we know how important it is we know how essential electricity is to our customers and so you kind of start every summer with a fire season. That's kind of normal in Arizona. Yeah. We start with a fire season, and it, it incapacitates a few lines here and there, and, that, and that's a challenge. And, and now you get out of the fire season, and it seems like we kind of transition into the, the really, really hot part of the summer. Now we're, we're dealing with peak loads and, and high energy demand. And so then you get kind of the storms show up and the temperatures might drop a little bit. But now you got rain and storms and monsoons and, and you got to deal with storm damage. So there's kind of a trifecta of challenges through the summer that we deal with. And each one of those has unique challenges. And, you know, as much as we spend our time thinking and working very hard to learn the lessons of the past and to make sure we're in making the right investments uh, to ensure reliable, safe, clean energy for our customers, it also means that there's a lot of challenges that are going to come with that through the summer run seasonal uh seasonal sleepless nights that's right it is you get less sleep in the summer for sure oh man man oh man isn't that the truth 
Well, SRP also, we talked a little bit about APS's plan to encourage people to buy uh, in a staggered plan. I mean, buying staggered, staggering your consumption, it, it's the way of the future for this whole industry, isn't it, Chris? Sure, sure. Trying to adjust to that, yeah, increase efficiency, et cetera. Take that high peak load off of those hot, hot Saturday or uh, summer afternoons. That's right. Monday through Friday, that's the worst time. What what did COVID do to y'all's power plants? Did staying home increase the power consumption, or did it, or with all those offices shut down, did it de- decrease consumption? We saw Can an you overall. Tell? We saw an overall increase in our peak during the summertime with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, y'all y'all see the same yeah, thing. At the very beginning, we saw a drop in the energy demand. At the very beginning of COVID, when everybody went home and the businesses shut down, but what you figured out was quickly as commercial and industrial load dropped, the residential load picked up and made up for it. And to Chris's point, we also set a new peak last last July oh, as well. Wow! So they kind of offset each other. And the fact that it was record heat didn't help. That's uh, right. Uh, either. That's right. It was a ch- tough summer in 2020. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of 21 plays out. Man, well, I can't thank you guys enough to agreeing to come in and visit as a as as a two person panel with Romy and I, for the sake and the benefit and the education of the Arizona homeowner, because they want to know when they switch that light, that light's going to come on. They want to know when they walk up to that thermostat and ask it for two more degrees of cooling, they're going to hear that fan blower and that compressor start up. And they should know that we're here for them. <laughs> <laughs> and and they 24 do. by seven That's they right. do they really do i'm i'm help me recreate a horror story i'm trying to think i'm the hailstorm of 2011 was kind of cool uh, uh but that wasn't a summer peak uh problem uh every once in a while if i remember right over the years a transformer will big transformer sometimes blink out yeah fire out Blaze Summer out. of 2015. That's the one I remember. Is, is it? What was, 20, most, what was that? We had a really, really tough monsoon season that year, and we, we blew down probably north of 500 poles on our system. It was just a really tough, tough storm season. I think it was, it was even a year prior to 2015. When was that time they had to bring a transformer over from California, and it was like the helicopter was following it like two miles an hour across I-10, and there was even work crews that were going ahead having to shore up bridges because they weren't sure that they were strong enough for this massive transformer to get all the way across, and it took up both lanes, (laughs) so everywhere it was going, traffic had to get rerouted uh, to the other passing lane. What what year was that? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I remember we had a, a large transformer in 2008 that that uh, failed at a power plant. And, my, and I think you're thinking of Pinnacle Peak, and I can't recall the exact year that that occurred, but a very, very large 500,000-volt transformer that sits on one of our largest substations. Well, I can't thank you gentlemen enough for coming in and sharing your experience, your wisdom, and your calming sense about what each utility company is doing to accommodate the ever invaluable growing number of customers called Arizona homeowners. Well, Rosie, thank you for the chance to come and share our story and share with all the homeowners across the state of Arizona. And thanks for what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much, Rosie. We appreciate the opportunity. Well, we appreciate the privilege of having all your thanks a million.